There's a sweet spirit in the room tonight. Amen? Amen. Amen. So the older I get, the more I understand why my dad would come home from work in the evenings. He'd get something to eat, sit down in his recliner, turn on the TV, and be asleep within about two minutes. And I used to make fun of him for that. And now I fully embrace that with joy. So after dinner, I go to my reading chair. That is AKA for also my napping chair. And I usually turn on some type of an Alaska-based reality TV program. And I'm usually asleep within the first couple of moments of that. So my go-to program over the years has been one called Deadliest Catch. It is one of the greatest nap-inducing programs that has ever been created. And uh, one of the reasons why it is so fantastic is because you don't ever have to actually watch a whole episode to know exactly what happened in that episode. You can fall asleep within two minutes, wake up in the credits, and I can tell you exactly what happened. There were some guys on a boat, they caught some crabs, dealt with some storms, and had a bunch of abrasive personalities. You're caught up. All right, so a while back I was watching Deadliest Catch and about to slip into Never Never Land and get some good sleep, and all of a sudden they switched the script on me a little bit. And that is there were a couple of guys from rival fishing boats who actually went to the docks in the middle of the night to talk with or to confront a couple of the guys who were on another fishing boat because they had heard about them abusing drugs and alcohol. And there was somewhat of a dramatic scene when they got there. Everybody was kind of like shocked. What are you doing here? They explained this is why we are here they shared their heart, they shared we want to help, they shared that this is what's in our mind, they hugged it out like a couple of dudes, and they left. But when that moment happened, I was stunned by the reaction of the guys who had just been confronted. They were not upset. They were grateful. They were not mad that some people came and got in their business they were grateful that they had friends who cared enough to show up in the middle of the night and to say what was uncomfortable in the moment because if they didn't say it, they were afraid that their lives were going to take a more dramatic turn for the worse. I, I walked away from that program thinking, praise God for genuine friends. Praise God for people who will love you enough to say what's uncomfortable because they care about your life. Praise God for those who are willing to speak love and encouragement into your life at some of the most broken and hurtful moments along the way. Praise God for those who are willing to stand in the gap and to say, what can I do to serve you? What do you need? How can I be here in order to support you? So I want you to hold that idea as we enter into Galatians chapter 6, we are challenged when we enter into this final chapter of the book of Galatians with how do you respond to hurting believers? How do you respond to Christians who have been caught in sin? How do you respond to those that the enemy has been working over and now it has become apparent knowledge 
And how are the believers around them supposed to respond as a result of that? When a brother or sister in Christ falls into sin, they're already beaten up, they're already weary, they're already overwhelmed. Unfortunately, the church has gotten a bad reputation over the years as being the only army in the world that shoots its own wounded. And we don't do that all the time, but it's not uncommon for that to happen. Now, I am absolutely grateful that Sherwood is a church that is blessed with many, many incredible, loving people. I think the collective idea of this church would be we want to be a place where hurting people can go to find help. We want to be a place where people don't have to put on a mask and hide what they're walking through, that they can be honest, they can be open, they can be genuine, they can say, this is a struggle, and there's going to be a brother or sister in Christ who will say, I hear you, how can I help? What can I do? We, we want people to be in community so that relationships are strong enough that sometimes when another believer cannot even verbalize that they're hurting, somebody recognizes they're hurting and they step in in order to help. That's, that's what we want. But here's a hard question that we have to ask. Are we creating a culture for that to happen? Are we creating a place where hurting people can be honest with their pain? Where hurting people can say, I've messed up, I know I've messed up, and I need hope. I need somebody who would be willing to walk with me through this. You see, if legalism defines the culture, we will respond to hurting people with criticism and cutting words and rejection. If grace is what defines the culture, we will respond to hurting people with encouragement and loving words and a path to redemption. All oh, this is so huge. The grace we extend becomes the community we enjoy. The grace we extend becomes the community we enjoy. If we want people to respond in grace to us when we mess up, guess what? We need to respond in grace to others when they mess up. So how do we create a culture where hurting people know, I can go to that church and I can find help? How do we create that? Let's find out together in the Word. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles, Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter number 6, we are in verses 1 through 5. I am speaking this evening on the subject of the grace we extend. The grace we extend. Verse number 1 and following. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work. Remember this morning I was talking about? Scripture tells us, examine, check up on, look back into your life. This is one of those examining texts. Each one must examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask tonight that you would allow a word that is just as biblical as John 3.16, but a whole lot more hard for us to live out. God, would you allow this word to be one that it not only resonates in our heart, but it's also one that is lived in this community. God, will thank you for what you do there. In Jesus' name, amen. So in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul has already made a number of comments on how believers are to relate to one another. So, for example, if you were to look back over into verse number 13 of chapter 5, he says, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So love and service are emphasized back there. Then over in verse number 14, it says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love and community are now emphasized. That's how we're to relate to each other. Then verse number 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. In other words, how you treat others is going to be emphasized in how they treat you. Then in verses 25 and 26, it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Walking by the Spirit and now competition are emphasized in that text. Those who walk by the Spirit are not in competition with other believers. And here's the reason. Grace has leveled the playing field. We, we have nothing to boast about apart from Christ. For somebody else to say, look what I did or look what happened here, all I could say is it's the grace of God. It's, it's what God has done in my life as well. The legalist, on the other hand, listen, they live by competition and by comparison. The legalist is always trying to make himself look better by pointing out the faults in the person next to them. That is not how God has designed his church to be. We are to walk in grace. So when we enter into chapter 6, the apostle Paul is not starting a new theme. Rather, he is continuing the same theme of this is how you respond to one another. And specifically, this is how you respond to a brother or sister who has fallen into sin. Here's your big truth for tonight. The law of Christ is fulfilled when grace is extended. The law of Christ is fulfilled when grace is extended. Everything we're talking about tonight is going to come back to that one big truth. We're going to be talking about what the law of Christ is and how it is extended and how grace fits into this whole picture. So we need to begin this by asking the question and finding the answer of what is the law of Christ? Now, we know it's somehow connected to bearing one another's burdens because in verse number 2 it says, bear one another's burdens and thereby, or by doing this, fulfill the law of Christ. So somehow bearing one another's burdens is a part of the law of Christ. Now another clue is given back over in chapter 5, verse 14. For the whole law, keyword law, is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. Throughout scripture we find that the law of Christ is the law of love. 
over and over again. It's the law of love. Now, here's the point. Love always translates into actions. How's that lived out in this text? Loving your neighbor becomes validated when we bear one another's burdens by loving your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, there is an action part that comes with love. So how does grace fit into this picture at all? Well, maybe we need to back up and ask another question prior to that. Can any of us, on our best day and in our own strength, love our neighbor as we love ourselves? No. Here's a question. Is it humanly possible for any of us to not only bear all of our own burdens, but also bear all of the burdens of those people who are around us? No. Here's another question. Do we always know when it is that God wants us to step in and bear a burden and when he wants us to step back and let him do his work? You see, in each of these, we need the Spirit of God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. What he does in us and through us and for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So here's what Christians do. Here's what happens when legalism takes over the Christian mind. There are Christians who will look at this and it says that we're to bear one another's burdens and here's what they try to do. They try to muster up enough love in themselves. They try to tackle every burden, every challenge, every problem until they are so spiritually and emotionally and financially and all of these things drained that they have nothing left to give. And here's what happens. And then they feel bad that they can't do any more. Did you know God has a way for us to bear one another's burdens and not do that? Walk by the Spirit. You see, this is why it's so beautiful. What is walking by the Spirit? It's where we live under His direction and by His power. It is that He is living His life through us. He prompts and He leads where He would have us to be involved. But in those moments, He now lives His life through us. That's why living by the Spirit is such an important part here. The law of Christ is fulfilled when grace is extended. When we live under the Spirit's direction and by the Spirit's power. So now that we understand the big truth, let's unpack some of the specific implications that come from that. When grace is extended, when the law of Christ is fulfilled, what does that look like on a practical level? Here's a couple of ways. First, spiritual believers extend grace by gently restoring stumbling believers. Oh, this is so big. Verse number one, brethren, if anyone is caught, overcome, overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. The word trespass or sin in this text, it carries the idea of stumbling or falling into. It helps us understand this is not deliberate sin. What's happening here is it describes a person who has sinned because they failed to be on guard. 
They flirted with temptation and they lost. They tried to live this life in their strength and they found out they failed. This, this is not deliberate. This is a person who tried to do it their own way and it didn't work. Now, why would Paul use this as an illustration? Oh, please hear me here. Please hear me. Nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism faster than watching how a legalist responds to somebody caught in sin. Did you hear what I just said? Nothing will reveal the wickedness of legalism faster than watching the way a legalist responds to someone caught in sin. Do you remember the story of the Pharisees dragging the woman before Jesus caught in the act of adultery, John chapter 8, they did not want her restored. They wanted her stoned. Do you remember the story where the Jewish mob almost killed the apostle Paul because they thought he defiled the temple by bringing Gentiles into it, Acts chapter 21? Uh, What about the religious crowd who came after Jesus And wanted to kill him because he had the audacity to heal somebody on the Sabbath. Legalists are not interested in bearing another person's burdens. They add to somebody else's burdens. They criticize others. They reject the hurting as being permanently damaged. Please hear this next statement. Please hear this. I don't care who the person is. I don't care how long they've been walking with Jesus. I don't care what position they currently or have held within the church. On this side of heaven, every Christian sins. You don't want to. That's not your desire. But Christians sin. And sometimes we put some Christians up on a pedestal and we say, That would never happen to that person. Everybody struggles with temptation. Christians sin. We live in a fallen world. And listen, while it is that the penalty of sin has been paid and the power of sin has been broken, there are still moments of weakness in our flesh on this side of heaven where people are going to sin. And grace-filled spiritual believers are saddened by that sin, but they focus on restoring that believer in a spirit of gentleness. The word restore is used of making a repair. It's the work of a surgeon who is correcting a problem and many times setting a broken bone. The focus is not punishment. The focus is putting things right. They're they're concerned with how do I get this person to a place that they're once again in right relationship with God. And they're in right relationship with the church. And they're in right relationship with the world. That's what a grace-filled spiritual believer is concerned about. He says, you who are spiritual... So who or what is he talking about here? Oh, this is good. Spiritual believers are those who are walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Spiritual believers are those walking in the Spirit, 
filled with the Spirit and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. I love the fact he does not get into correcting other believers until chapter 6 after he's addressed what it looks like to walk by the Spirit over in chapter 5. You don't want people correcting other believers in chapter 1 yet. We, we don't, we're not ready for that at this point. Now, here's an interesting thought, and you gotta, you got to track with me, otherwise you're going to miss this one. You can be a mature believer and not be a spiritual believer in that moment. Here, here's what I mean. At any point in a Christian's journey, he or she is either walking by the Spirit, therefore spiritual, or they are walking in the deeds of the flesh, thereby fleshly. So our maturity is the cumulative effect of moments of walking in the Spirit. Now that being said, it is possible for a mature believer to not be walking in the Spirit at a season in their life and therefore not respond in the way of the Spirit, but they respond in the things of the flesh. Maturity and being a spiritual believer in the moment are not always the same thing. Spiritual believers are those who extend grace by gently restoring stumbling believers. The Apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Spiritual believers are to admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. Only spiritual believers have the right and the wisdom to correct stumbling believers. And by the way, you would not want it any other way. If you have been in a place of falling into sin and broken by sin, the last thing you want to see is some legalistic, selfish, critical person show up and say, let me tell you how to get your life right. I'll tell you what you do want to see. You want to see that person who comes in a spirit of gentleness and love and compassion, filled with the Spirit of God, filled with the wisdom of God, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit of God. And you want that person to say, brother, sister, how can I walk with you through this? That's God's design. Spiritual believers, oh, this is going to be hard too. Spiritual believers do not have the right to refuse to help restore stumbling believers. Did you know this is an imperative? It's a command. He doesn't give us the option of if you get around to it, if you like the person, if your personalities coincide. He says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. So what does that look like? Well, first, you got to help the person recognize their sin. If they don't recognize sin, if they don't recognize that what they have done has been wrong, as long as a person can say it's just a problem, it's a personality quirk, it's a sickness, or some other counseling term that we just made up this last week, as long as they hide behind that, they will distance themselves from their actions. They feel vindicated and justified. 
I cannot tell you how many times I have sat down with somebody in my office and they're sharing this is a struggle. And they'll tell me, I've been in counseling for 20 years on this. And, and, and when they tell me something like this, my heart sinks because I think to myself, you wasted 20 years listening to this. And here's what somebody will say. My counselor told me that I am genetically wired to cheat on my spouse. <laughs> and in all the grace I can muster, all I can say is, your counselor is foolish. They don't understand the word of God. As long as somebody is calling sin by any other name other than sin, we don't take responsibility for what's happened in our life. You cannot dance with sin and flirt with sin and cuddle sin and not expect sin to follow you home. We have to call sin, sin. Until a person is willing to say, I've sinned. You can't help them at this moment. Second part, the restoration of the person is to be done in a spirit of gentleness with the characteristics of those who walk by the spirits. If you notice back over in Galatians 5.23, gentleness is a part of the fruit of the spirits. So after the church has exercised discipline, and by the way, did you know sometimes we don't recognize that the church is doing church discipline because we sometimes think church discipline only happens if somebody gets kicked out of the church? But did you know there's multiple steps? The first part is you go to that brother or sister one-on-one. -on -one. You share the concern. And if they recognize it and they repent of it, it's done there. If they don't, you go back with one or two others and you readdress it. And if it's dealt with there, it's done there. Did you know that's church discipline? We need believers in our life who love us enough to come and say, there's sin that I see, and it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt those around you, and I want to talk to you about it. And by the grace of God, so many times you'll find that a person, they say, you're right. I, I, I don't want that in my life, and they will address it right then and there. That is church discipline. That is biblical community. And when that is happening within the body of Christ, that is a healthy body of Christ that is going on. That is not judgmentalism. That is love on display right there. So here's the other part of that, though. Sometimes if a sin has gone unaddressed, it's been unrepentant. It comes from person by person. And then it gets to a point where that sin becomes known. Listen, your greatest desire is that it becoming known leads to repentance so that you can put them on a path of restoration. That's what you want to see in that moment. So, and here's why Scripture tells us that. When the church has done that, it also tells the other members around, forgive and comfort the one who's been disciplined. Or they may be, listen, overwhelmed by excessive sorrow, 2 Corinthians 2, 7. He should not be regarded as an enemy, but admonished as a brother, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 15. Do you know why it's so hard for us sometimes to forgive other people? Because legalism, 
makes us minimize our own sin. We will say, I would have never have done that. I would have never have put myself in that place. I would have never have said that. I would have never have done that to my spouse. There's all of these different things. So notice how beautifully the Apostle Paul is anticipating that argument. Verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something, he is nothing. He deceives himself. In other words, if you're starting to get a big head saying, I, I wouldn't do it. He was like, watch out, you're deceiving yourself. The grace-based believer holds that statement of, but by the grace of God, there go I. The grace-filled spiritual believer is the individual who's saying, God has forgiven me of so much. How could I ever want to hold another person's sin against them when God has forgiven them too? You, you, don't, you don't go through and ignore sin. You address sin, but you do it in a spirit of gentleness and with the purpose of restoration. The law of Christ is fulfilled when grace is extended. Here's the next piece. Grace reminds us that examining ourselves and walking humbly helps us resist temptation. Spiritual believers can also stumble if they're not examining themselves in humility. The word examine in verse number four it's in the present tense, meaning it is to be a continual, diligent attentiveness towards our own purity. In other words, if we're not careful, we find ourselves falling into the same sin traps that we just tried to help another brother or sister get out of. He, he says in the text, examine yourselves. Verse number three, for if anyone thinks he is something, he deceives himself. Um, if you say it could never happen to me, be careful. If you begin looking down your nose at some other believer saying they cannot get their life together, be careful. For the one who thinks that he is outside of this, he deceives himself. Uh, the Greek word for deceives, it means to lead one's mind astray into fantasy. In other words, you and I have the capacity to make up a narrative in our mind that causes us to live in a fantasy world, thinking that we are protected when we're not. By the way, pride can coexist with outward morality. It cannot coexist with inward spirituality. This idea of sinful pride is so problematic, it is so destructive, that it literally makes it to the top of the list of the things God hates. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. I'm going to share this out of the King James, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift and run into mischief, a false witness who speaketh lies, and he who sows discord among the brethren. You know why I gave it to you at the King James? My mom had me memorize it at the King James when I was like three years old. I'm 49 years old, and it's still in my head to this day. Parents, teach your kids the word. Teach them the word. They're going to remember something. Put the word in their minds. 
pride tops the list. These six things the Lord hates. And he starts with a proud look. Verse 4 continues by saying, but each one must examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. Now, this is pretty neat. He's basically saying, if in examining your own work, you find that you are walking by the Spirit and living by the Spirit and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, then you should boast just in Christ. <laughs> That's what a grace-filled believer does. They give the credit back to God. Now, also notice he says, in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. In other words, this isn't about you boasting because you're here spiritually compared to somebody else. This is not a competition. <laughs> your only competition is with the divine potential that God placed in your life. That's what it is that we are wanting to live out. I cannot be who God has called me to be if I am trying to be like another pastor another dad, another husband, another man. You cannot be who God called you to be if you're trying to be like somebody else. If God wanted two of them, he'd have made two of them. Instead, he made one of them and one of you. We need to come through and be who God made us to be. The competition, if there is one, it is that we pursue the divine potential that God has placed in us. Here's the next one, and we close. Grace teaches us that there are burdens to share, burdens to bear, and burdens to entrust. This is found in verses 2 and 5. So verses 2 and 5 almost seem like they contradict each other. Verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens. That sounds like you are to go help the person out. Then verse 5 says, each one must bear his own load. Sounds like you're to carry it yourself. So which one is it? Yes. It's both. This is where our English translations do not help us in this moment. There are 11 different words in your Bible for burden. 11 different ones. In this, the Apostle Paul in verse number 2 is using the word baros. It's B-A-R-O-S. It means fault. It refers to heavy loads of temptation, weakness, ignorance, or pressures too great to carry alone. In this specific context, it would be burdens that tempt the believer to go back into the sin that they had just been delivered from. So Paul is telling them, in that case, bear one another's burdens. When, when you know that person is about to be tempted beyond their capabilities, are about to take that step back, walk in, help them, bear one another's burdens. Now, at the same time, verse 5 uses a different word. It's the word portion, P-H-O-R-T-I-O-N. It means load. It was used of a ship's cargo, a child in the womb, or a soldier's backpack. This is beautiful. It describes general obligations of life that only that person can bear. Only the mother can carry her child in her womb. Only the ship is responsible for its own cargo. There are no two-person backpacks. Each soldier must carry his own. So verse 5 talks about 
people carrying his or her own load. So what are some of those types of loads that we're to carry alone? This is not an exhaustive list, but I can get you started. There are specific types of suffering, physical suffering, mental struggles. You carry them alone. It's not that others are not with you and can empathize with you and try to help you. But they cannot suffer for you. It's a burden you carry alone. Also, death is one of those moments you walk through alone. People can be with you. They can hold your hand. They can be in that moment. But when God calls you home, you walk the path alone. Your individual role as husbands and wives, dads and moms, daughters and sons, individual roles are those that you carry alone. People can mentor you. They can support you. They can pray for you. But listen, no one can step into your place and be the husband God called you to be to the wife you're married to. That's for you alone. Wives, no other woman can step in and be the wife to your husband that God has called you to be. That is one for you alone. Moms, listen to this as well. No one can be the mom to your children that God has called you to be personally. Listen, listen, it's not that you cannot adopt. It's not that you cannot foster. It is not that you cannot care for. It is not that you cannot spiritually mentor. Here's the thing. The moment that individual is in your care, God has now called you to a task of living out what it looks like to love that individual as Christ loves you. Dads, listen to this. God's called you to be the spiritual head of your home. You cannot delegate that to anybody else. It's one of those burdens you walk with and you carry alone. So what's another type of that? There's, those are some that you are to share and some that you are to carry. So what are burdens that we are to entrust? There's one main one. It's the burden of sin. David said it like this in Psalm 38, verse 4. For my iniquities are gone over my head, a heavy burden. They weigh too much for me. Christian friends cannot bear your sin load themselves. You cannot bear your sin load yourself. Oh, but listen to Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He alone can carry our sin load. It's a reminder to us when we look at the fact that Christ alone died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. It reminds us of the fact that he alone can carry that for us. So as we close out this text, I want you to remember everything that we studied has been written in the context of grace. God's unmerited favor where he does in us and through us and for us what we could not do for ourselves. It is also written in the context of spiritual Christians, those who are walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. So whether someone is having burdens that need to be carried 
or whether or not it is that you are to help carry theirs or whether it's not one that you're to carry by yourself, regardless of any of those things, we need the grace of God to go through it. We need God to do in us and through us and for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Remember, the grace we extend will become the community we enjoy. If you want the community to be filled with gracious people, be a gracious person. Respond in grace to those who are around you. The challenge, live by grace. Walk by the Spirit. Be willing for God to use you to restore hurting people. And when you see a hurting person, be careful that the first thought is not, here's how I can criticize. But rather, let the first thought be, God, how do you want me to help in this matter? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that even in the challenging text, God, there is such grace and mercy and love and wisdom that is shown. God, thank you for the fact that you did not place a burden on us that is too heavy for us to carry, but you desire for us to submit to you so that you can live your life through us. Lord, may this church be a church filled with spiritual believers. May it be a place that hurting people know, I can go there and find help. And God, we will give you praise for everything that happens. In Jesus' name, amen.